What up, Whiskey Ginger fans? Welcome back to the show. We got another good one for you today, man. Kevin Nealon, love this dude. What an incredible guy. What a great career he's had uh, from uh, SNL uh, to Weeds. Uh, he just keeps uh, doing great stuff. I really do love Kevin. He's incredible. A super, super smart, witty, talented mind, man. I love this guy. I'm on the road. Come on, let's go. Come see me. AndrewSantino.com is where you're going to get the tickets. I'm going to be in um, Houston, then I'm going to be in Madison, then I'm going to be in Nashville and Calusa, which is up north near Sacramento, doing a one-night gig at a casino. Come spend your money, ruin your mortgage payment, and see me and laugh. Uh, then I'm going to also do in Boston, and we're releasing a bunch of dates. We're about to put a whole list of dates out for the fall slash winter, but go to andrewsantino.com and get those tickets. Come see me. Uh, right now. Uh, and if you're looking for the merch, it's in the merch bar below if you're on YouTube uh, or at andrewsantinostore.com. Uh, and also the Patreon. Hey, hey, we're making good stuff over there. That's where the solo episodes live on Patreon. That's where the Cheeto chats are. And we do um, Zooms for the top tier, which is really dope once a month. Uh, it's very fun to help support the show. Uh, so go to uh, patreon.com slash whiskey ginger podcast and, uh, and join, join the rest of us at the Whiskey Ginger crew. And this family, we appreciate you. We love you. Enough rambling from me. Let's go to the episode. In here, we pour whiskey, 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 whiskey. You were that creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. Gingers are beautiful. You owe me $5 for the whiskey and $75 for the horse. Gingers are hell no. This whiskey is excellent. Ginger. I like gingers. Hi, good morning, everybody. It's it uh, it's about uh, twelve fourteen here in uh, the silver. What do they call it? The silver silver fox area. This no. is where all the roaming silver foxes you, are. You know the intersection, um, Ventura Boulevard and Laurel Canyon. It's called the Silver Triangle. Really? Yeah. What does that What does that represent? I, I don't know. I was I was on my GPS today, and you know I've spent so much time out there. I used to live around there, and I worked at Radford a lot. Yeah. But I I just found out that they call it the Silver Triangle. Well, in Chicago, where I grew up, there was an area they call it the Viagra Triangle because it's a bunch of old, rich dudes trying to pick up young, you know, co-eds. So they yeah. call it the Viagra Triangle, and it is true to form. You go down there to like Gibson's or one of those spots. Yeah, it's all dudes sixty and up, and all girls twenty-two to twenty-eight, and it's wonderful. These people, they connect, they get what they both want, and it works. Wow. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. No. What is Burns Brothers? I thought it was a Brooks Brothers hat. No, it's the. It was a fictitious. Um, Fictitious uh, company, uh, construction company, uh, for a show I was on called Man with a Plan with uh, Matt LeBlanc. Rest in peace. That's who we were. <laughs> <laughs> I ran into you at CBS Radford. You were shooting that show. Yeah. What was I doing there? Probably bombing an Is audition. This a quiz? Yeah. You were, oh man, I've been on so many auditions there. That place I've never booked. Do you know, I was, uh, when I, when I, um, I know it's hard to book out there. It's why I don't know, but it is for some reason. CBS Radford is like a, a bad luck charm. I auditioned for that show about five years ago and I was coming from the dentist and my mate, my, they gave me more Novocaine than I had hoped. Mm -hmm. And so my whole left side was numb and I'm driving over Laurel Canyon from Century City and I'm trying, I'm hitting my chin, to, my cheek to try to make it, um, you know, get a numb so I could talk, not like enough for an audition with Matt LeBlanc. Right. And it just it wouldn't happen. And I get in the parking lot and there's another guy waiting there who I didn't know at the time. He had a beard, kind of a burly guy. And he was reading for the same part. And, 
I since, you know, talked to him about this. He goes, uh, when I saw you, I thought, oh, that's, I'm not getting it. And it was Tom Segura. Oh, it was? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. He doesn't really audition much for TV shows. I guess not. But anyway, um, um, so I go in there on audition with uh, Matt LeBlanc. I never met him before. Hey, how you doing? And um, that was, was that Sylvester Stallone? Who yeah, was that? that was Stallone. Oh, why was he there with Matt? Although, you know what? When, I, when my son first started watching Man With A Plan... And he saw Matt LeBlanc. He, he was young, you know, he was like 10 at the time or nine. He goes, that guy sounds like uh, so, uh, so, like Rocky. Oh, so he I said, he yeah. heard it too? Yeah, yeah. Does he sound like that? I'm trying to think. Yeah, well, yeah kind of like, he's kind of like lumbery in his voice. Collar, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, so I think he, um, I think they thought I had a stroke or something, <laughs> you know. Because <laughs> your mouth was, yeah. you, it was like half. I was kind of like, yeah. Huh? yeah. That side was dead. That's why you got the role. Probably. And they then when they found out that me. you didn't have the stroke, they were like, oh, Kev, yeah. we got to give you a block every time you come in. We thought, we felt bad for you. We were only trying to help you. How long was that show? Four years. Did you enjoy it? I did. I yeah. should introduce you, by the way. We started right away. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Whiskey Ginger. My guest today is one of my favorite people on earth. I say that for all my guests, but I mean it once again today. It's Kevin Neal. And Kevin, thanks for being here. Did you enjoy the show? I did enjoy the show. Yeah, it was great. Multi-camera, shot right over here in Radford Studios, Beautiful. Studio City. And um, a lot of fun people, good people. And it was, you know, a multi-camera is the best show to do. You know, it's the best schedule. You're home most of the time. But it's but it's also because you have the rhythm that's good. Like, look, you're, I don't like complimenting you, but you're very talented. <sighs> that's hard to say. It just really is hard for me to I say I don't take compliments too. lightly. Okay. Well, take mean? it heavily. What does that mean? I don't take them lightly. <laughs> Watch how you compliment me, pal. Yeah. I don't take them lightly. Yeah. But you're very talented. That's a skill that you that you possess, right? Like talent. Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> Multicam is hard. I've tried it. I can't. It's not for me. It's really? very hard. I just think it's not the obviously the comedic rhythm that you have it comes with the territory of stand-up. But the rhythm of multicam is not the same. It's very different. You have to. The beats aren't as smooth. You kind of have to. You have to really learn. Well, that it's dance. kind of like a play. Yeah. You know, it's it's. It's taped in front of a live audience, and there's multi-cameras, four or five. And, um, and you know, you have to kind of know your lines. That's and, hard. That I don't and do. And sometimes it's a line. And that's the closest I've ever come to doing a play. I've never done a play. Really? I I'm, did the vagina monologues in college. Did you play the vagina? Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. I played the monologue the second season. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I played the vagina monologues, and I was an abusive husband. I was the one man. On, those are They're always female shows. Yeah, that was really popular for a while. Yeah, it was huge. And Vagina. I did it, and people the hate I got from it because I played the, it was like you played a good character. Yeah. Like, do you ever get that where you do, where you played a character well enough on a TV or a movie where people just kind of give you hate because the character was hateable? Do you know what I mean? Well, I've gotten, when I did Weekend Update in uh, SNL, I got a death threat letter once. Oh. But that was it. I, w I didn't get a lot of hate. What now. was the letter? It was an actual handwritten letter. What did it, did you remember what it film. said? It, yeah, I remember exactly what it said. It said, Mr. Nealon, how you became so unfunny, I will never know, but I'm going to put a bullet in your big fat mick head. Wow. And for like a week after that, I was really paranoid. I was walking around asking everybody, do you think I have a fat head? Is it fat? Do you think it's fat? I mean, should I lose weight just in my head or the whole body? Or? I like that he made it ra about your, uh, your, your, your ethnic, <laughs> ethnic background. Yeah, yeah that's ethnic. so funny. Yeah. Your stupid mick head. Your big fat mick head. I imagine head. he wrote it, your big fat head, and was like, yeah, big fat Mick. Neilan, that's Irish. Yeah, you don't want to put Mick in there. <laughs> that's wild. Well, because also, the days that you were on Saturday Night Live, um, I maybe I'm wrong, and I can you can correct me. I feel like you guys push the limits a little bit more 
than people do than they do today. Well, one that's time, no disrespect to today. I just think it's time no. was very different. One time they got rid of the censor on the show. What do you mean, like the the person who's you know the 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 NBC person who lets you know what's appropriate and what's not and what won't fly you know on air. Like, you know, they would say, you can't do this. And you really have to kind of negotiate with those people. Like when you write a script, mm -hmm. you write way over the top so that you give them something. Say, okay, we'll take out right. the grasshopper penis uh, thing, you know. <laughs> but can part. I leave this part in right. with the part you really wanted in, you know. That's I go, smart. yeah, that's fine. But so I got rid of the censor one week, and that's the week we did uh, the penis sketch, you know, penis town. Mm -hmm. Hey, I, Hey, penis looking good, Bob. Yeah, where are you from? Denver. Oh, it's good penis town. You know, so we said penis like 20, you know, like 20, 100 times. So what did they cut? 2000. So uh, they didn't cut anything because no, the sensor was not there. But the oh. next week, the sensor was back. Mm. <laughs> what did the sensor take a week off for some reason? No, they just thought they didn't want to, they didn't need a sensor. They don't. Yeah. Don't you think that's the time? That's, well, that's why the internet has kind of, you can do a sketch on the internet now without any rules. SNL has to work within the confines, which I think is really tough for that show. And they do as good as they can with, being on a national television network. But I do think you got, historically that show always kind of pushed the limits of stuff and it's weird to see it now kind of adhere to social rules a little bit more than they used to. I mean, they said the N-word in the first episode. It's kind of crazy to Who think about. Who said the N-word? Chevy did, right? Oh, oh, and that, and the original. Yeah. So That's I, I mean, don't know. It, yeah, he, well, because yeah. uh, Eddie called him a honky and they were going back and oh, forth right, right. and he calls him the N-word. <clears throat> and I remember watching Eddie who? That. Eddie Murphane. That wasn't the first episode of Eddie Murphy was on. It was the first episode he was on, I mean. Oh, if he was on, okay. Yeah. And Chevy Chase was hosting or something? I don't know how that worked out. I don't remember what it was. I need a little more clarification about the N-word well, use. Let's, uh, <laughs> well, you love it so much. He said it, Kevin said it on the way in to me. He called me the N-word on the way in, which I accepted. I graciously accepted it, but it was just an interesting move on your behalf. He said it to, they were arguing, and he said it to him. I don't know. I think it was Eddie's first episode. Yeah. But also, I just think that show always has kind of done crazy shit uh, and said crazy shit. And now it's harder to say crazy shit because, you know, everyone's a little scared of saying the thing you shouldn't have said. Well, it's funny. Like, people are really um, cautious about what they say. They're really self-censoring themselves, mm. you know, filtering a lot. Like, I've noticed that people are even afraid to say the name of an ethnic race. You know, like you'll oh, hear yeah. somebody talking, they'll say, you know, I was standing, I was down on Wilshire the other day and there was a couple of black guys behind me the other day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I go to this food truck all the time. I love it down there. This Mexican guy owns it, you know. Right. I always get a burrito when I'm down there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they don't keep the words quiet that should be quiet. Like, uh, I was talking to some politicians the other day, you know. <laughs> you know, most of those guys are lawyers. <laughs> but, you know, you asked me about, you know, if, if people, um, that's how I'm going to wish I'm like, yeah, you know, I talked to my agent the other day <laughs> yeah. and what? <laughs> yeah. It is true. I also don't like the word African-American. I've said that often. I think it's, I can't keep up. Is it, is it black now or is it African? It's always been black. I don't think they mind. Yeah. No. If you ever have any black people that are in your life, like if you're friends with them or uh, work associates, ask them. This is the biggest annoyance about white people. They just assume that they know the best version of things. Go ask a friend. If you don't have any black friends, that's a whole other story. But black people have never liked to be called African-American. I've, I've never had one black friend in my life who prefers to be called African-American. I'm not Irish-American. No, you're not. You're a white guy. Yeah. You're do a white you, guy. Do you, are you offended when somebody calls you a white guy? That's what I am. How could I? I'm white. I mean, I'm... But you're not really white. You're more... Orange. Orangey, kind mm. of a pink... I'm a pink hue. Kind of purple, bruised... 
Ooh, that's a good, that's my hue of purple pew, Bruce. <laughs> All right, look, you've got a little bit more tan than I do, but you're not, you're not by much. No, I'm, I'm beige. I'm you're, a beige guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Can you name your next special beige guy? Beige guy. You know, I, I, a I'm, beige man. I have some road uh, gigs coming up, a whole bunch of them. Plug them. I'm not really, you know, I'm not going to plug them because I, I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but uh, if people go to kevinneelan.com, they can see where I'm going. Okay. But I don't, I should call it a tour. But I can never come up with a name. I did the exact same thing. Yesterday, I did have a call with my agent. And he said, (laughs) you need to have a tour name because everyone's doing this. Yeah. Tom Segura's tour, which I think is the most clever name. It's called I'm Coming Everywhere. Yeah. It's great. Whitney's just put out. Don't touch me. Don't touch me because she had the Can I Touch It on her Netflix special. Um, I just saw another one this morning, too, that I thought was very clever. But anyway, yeah, people do that. I'm not good at that. I can't come up with a name. Kevin Nealon Live is fine. How about just I'll be there tour? I'm come. I'm... The, here's the here, a list of cities I'm going to be. The legendary tour. I'll take it from Weeds. The legendary you know, I, tour. I, that was my little catchphrase. Weeds, legendary. That was a great was show, how, by the way. That was good. In fact, you know, you're asking me before about people when they come to see me. I forget how you paraphrased it, but mm-hmm. anyway, sometimes people during the Weeds window when I was on Weeds, they were a little disappointed because they thought they were coming to see Doug Wilson do stand up. <laughs> really? Yes. They just that's what they needed. Yeah, they thought Doug Wilson was doing stand up, not Kevin Nealon. But. W- <laughs> Imagine what they do when they see Bob Saget do stand-up. Blow their mind, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was talking about the twins in a very weird way. <laughs> I think people that don't know Bob don't understand that he's that squeaky clean image that people, particularly very young people, grew up with didn't have any idea. I, the only reason I knew is because I was in love with stand-up. And as a kid, I was obsessed with stand-up. So yeah. I knew the other side of that story, but my friends thought, I, they were like, that's not true. That guy's not like a dirt. He's like a... He's like a they, they would have been, he's like a dorky dad sweetheart. I'm like no, he's a dirty mouth guys guy. I've worked with Bob a lot over the years. You know, we both kind of started out around the same time back in the '80s. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, we worked at, at in Anchorage, Alaska, a couple times. At a, there's a show up there. There was a strip club up there that Jay Leno told us about. He goes, yeah, paying cash up there. Well, he tells some jokes, get some cash. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a good good gig. So we go up there. And it's called PJ Strip Club. It was in Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> and you literally follow the strip show. The strippers come off with their pasties. <laughs> and they're on pasties on fire. They have lockers. And you go out to the same audience. And the guys in flannel shirt, you know, the oil what? workers and the lumberjacks. There's no way they want to hear you. Well, they're sticking around. They don't have to stick around, but they do. But, you know, they, they kind of eventually get up and leave. But Bob and I both did that show. A lot of comics did it. And, uh, and then they put you up in a trailer on the owner's property. And it was just like a big room. It might've had a bathroom in it, but there was no furniture. It had two beds in it, one on both sides. Right. And there was nothing for us to do. So me and Bob would just lay in bed and we, we would come up, we would see who come up with the dirtiest, filthiest sentence. You know, <laughs> just like a one sentence, just a long on running on sentence, you know, that had no grammar to it or anything, right. you know, right. and we would just laugh ourselves asleep. You know, he's, he's very, he, his filth category is unique. He's good at coming up with like really dirty discussions. But you're a, you're not a dirty guy on stage. No, you're. I mean, clean is such an annoying word because I wouldn't say you're clean, but you're. I'm, dark, I'm more dark. Dark than anything yeah. else. Dark in a dry way. But you know, when I started doing stand up, there wasn't all of these. The only thing they had was HBO, and you could be dirty in HBO. Right. But everybody was saying like, you got to be clean. You got to be clean. Plus, you know, if my parents came to the show, we never swore in our house growing up, and. Mm-mm. Everything was appropriate, so I didn't want to have, have like two minutes of material when they came. You know, so my right. show my, it was always clean, and um, and so 
Yeah, so if you wanted to do The Tonight Show, you had to be clean. What or, year did you do The Tonight Show? I did it in 84 the first time. Did you kill? I did. I got you panel. Did. I got couched with them. You got couched. It was the best thing ever. And I was so scared. I was, my mouth was so dry. Like when I came out from behind the curtain, they were applauding. He introduced me, you know. Mm -hmm. And you as I'm walking out to my spot, the audience is applauding. I could smell a little bit of Johnny Carson's cigarette from the commercial break, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I totally blanked out. I couldn't remember my act. I could not remember it for anything. And after the last clap ended, it came to me. And I started. Wow. And it just snowballed. I was getting laughs and applause breaks. I hear Johnny laughing. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm outside of my skin. I'm thinking, I'm on The Tonight Show and I'm killing. That's awesome. This is what I always wanted. Yeah. And I ended. And because of the applause, I mean, it went longer than it should have. And they had to bump the next act. Oh, really? Which was a girl I dated for about six months. I met her there. What? <laughs> yeah. So, um... So I go behind the curtain. Johnny gives me the okay thing. And then the talent coordinator, Jim McCauley's name was, he goes, that was great. Stick around. I think Johnny wants to talk to you after the commercial break. Yeah. Did you load up? Do you load up um, material that you want to talk about on the couch? Well, I didn't, I didn't think I would be doing the couch. Oh, you never even considered it? No. I mean, I, I considered it, but I didn't really have anything planned. But he goes to me, the, the talent coordinator, and he goes, okay, Johnny, he's going to want to talk to you. So what, what, what can we talk about? What can, and then he goes, oh, you got plenty of stuff. Don't worry about it. I went out there and I had a joke that was like one of my best jokes that I hadn't used for some reason on that set. But it was like, um, uh, he goes, I remember exactly what he said. He goes, oh, that, that, that was funny. Now, what, what, am I pronouncing your name right? I said, uh, he goes, Kevin Nealon. I said, it's Kevon, actually, Kevon. <laughs> and he laughed, you know. And then he goes, so you work, are you working on the road a lot? And I said, yeah, it gets a little lonely out there, Johnny. He goes, yeah, I bet it does. And he goes, how do you deal with that? Well, you know, they say calling long distance is the next best thing to being there because that was the commercial at the time uh -huh. for, you know, whatever the Pacific Bell. Yeah. And I said, I think the next best thing to being there is being with someone that looks similar. <laughs> you know, and he threw his head back. Some more smoke came out. You know, he was laughing. <laughs> and I just, and I just went, everything went so well. Mm -hmm. And then I dated the girl that I bumped. We had a mutual friend. What was her thing? What was she, she was an actress. Oh, but what, oh, she was just going to come out and do couch as an yeah, actress. Yeah, she was going to promote her show. Oh, she wow. And you bumped her. Yeah. And we had a mutual friend. And you bumped her. And, uh, yeah. But anyway, it was like, it was like the highlight of my career more than anything else, more than SNL. Cause you know, standup is really what I wanted to do. Mm. And that show is what I wanted to do. And, but now it's kind of like dated. You don't even put it like on your resume, resume or talk. You know? Well, <clears throat> comedy fans, I think still understand the weight and the gravity of what Carson did and what he created. Yeah. So I think it's still well-respected, but I do, I know what you mean. I think young people don't, I think young people, we don't have that thing now. That's like the kingmaker. It doesn't right. really exist anymore. Right. So, I mean, for me as a kid, I, I, I thought that was so cool when people did Carson and got the couch. I thought that was such an, a wild, it was like, and you know what else, you got Andrew? blessed publicly. Oh yeah. And, and I knew because I used to live at the improv. I was a bartender there for a couple of years That's and I right, would go yeah. there every night when I had friends coming to town, like from Connecticut, where I was from, they wanted to see LA. I said, I don't really know anywhere. I could take you down to the improv. Cause that's where I kind of like hang out every night, every night. So I used to see, <clears throat> and I knew that when somebody did the tonight show for the first time, they had a TV over the bar. It wasn't a plasma screen. It was like a TV. They hung, mm -hmm. you know, and everybody would come out into the bar, all the comics, and they would watch the comic do the tonight show for the first time, especially oh, if it was the cool. first time. And I knew everybody was out there watching and I still have the answering machine tape in my 
you know, you know, telephone rec- message recorder. Yeah. From back then, uh, it's like a cassette tape of mm-hmm. all the comics calling me and congratulating me, oh, like wow. Paul Reiser, Brad Garrett, Gary Shanley, Bob Saget. Wow. You know, <clears throat> it was really it was the highlight of uh, my career. That, ta- that, those, that tape is that tape's worth a lot to you. It is. It is. I love it. I love it. And um, and nothing really has kind of like felt that way. Matched that. Yeah. Uh, was Lor- Lor- when was Lauren? Did he know you from that? I don't know where he knew me from. He Dana Carvey recommended me to Lauren. Right. See, I never, I never like, I, I, all I want to do is stand up. I was like you. I just love stand up. Yeah. I used to highlight the comics that were going to be on TV in the TV guide. Mm-hmm. And I would be there to watch George Miller on Murph Griffin or whatever, you right. know, or wh- whomever, you know, and I would, and I knew every comic and Saturday Night Live was a show that I just knew people died to try to get auditions for that whenever they came through town. And so I'm friends with Dana Carvey. We're actually sharing a house in the Hollywood Hills with another comic, Bob Duback, and a writer friend of mine, Joe Kenny. <clears throat> and I'm dating Jan Hooks at the time, who was on the show, who, who actually got on the show when I did. But Dana um, got on the show that summer for that coming fall. This is back in the 1900s. <laughs> and, uh, and drove his horse-drawn carriage all the way to New York City. That's right. It was an Uber carriage. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he calls me two weeks later and he says, Kevin, they're looking for another cast member. You know, and I told Lauren about you and, you know, he wants to see your audition tape. So I sent my Tonight Show stuff in. Oh, you did? Yeah, that's how I got it. You know, I just, and then I had to go audition too. And Weekend Update, a choice? The or... Weekend Update was something Lauren, I think, always kind of had an eye on me to do. Mm-hmm. And when Dennis was finished, um, he offered it to me. And I always loved Chevy Chase. Yeah. The way he did it. You know, yeah. everybody's got their own thing. Dennis did it great, but other, everybody has their own thing. You know, it's the way they do it. <clears throat> but I like more of the dry newscaster. So he was my, kind of my role model, Chevy yeah. Chase. And then that that opened up. And I'm telling you, that Weekend Update spot, I was still doing sketches and stuff too, characters. Yeah. You know, I wasn't just doing Weekend Update. And that was a difficult, it wasn't difficult, but it was a challenge because a lot of people didn't want to write for, for Weekend Update because they wanted to write their own sketches. Sure. And they wanted to have their catchphrase and all that, you know. And the newer writers would write, and they weren't that good. So <laughs> I was paying people $50 out of my own pocket to fax in jokes, like Drake Sather and uh, some of these other people. Guys from out here. From out here. Yeah. Um, and I would get these faxes. And, and then I'd write my own jokes, too. But you couldn't write anything until Saturday morning. Because all the other talk shows were doing it, you know, right. Thursday, Friday, you know. And so Saturday morning, I'd get up and I'd get like five newspapers at home and I'd start writing jokes. Maybe sometimes even late Friday, I'd look. There was no computers back then. <laughs> it sounds so ancient. No, but, but there was no, we had AP photos and newspapers. And so Lauren, to try to get people to come and write, put out a breakfast up on the 17th floor of the writer's wing. Um, a hot catered breakfast and had newspapers. And the only people that would come would be the new writers, Al Franken, because he was a political pundit. Mm-hmm. Um, Norm MacDonald would come up to read the paper and have breakfast. Right, he, well, yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> so, right. Jokes. Yeah. And, um, and then me. And, um, and, you know, we put it together and, and do it. But it, it was very, um, it, it is the pivotal point of the show. So it's a really kind of a high pressure 
spot to be in. Oh, yeah. And people are also very judgmental, especially when somebody's been doing it for five or six years before you and they're used to that person. Yeah. And when you come in, they're going to be very, they'll either be happy or angry that you're doing it now. Yeah, it's a lot easier to become a cast member and just jump into sketches because they slowly kind of um, finagle you into sketches. And then slowly by surely they build you up. With Weekend, you have to just do Weekend. But the Weekend update came like five years into my run. Yeah. And I had been doing feature spots on there and stuff. And I always did the warm-ups for SNL, too. What? I would come out and do the warm-ups. There's no warm-up comic today. There isn't? I don't think so. I think there is. There is? There must be. Yeah. I think somebody comes out. Because I've gone to a couple tables, but, I'm, I'm, but I'm always backstage, and I never really... Yeah. I don't go out until the show's up. Well, I like doing it because it, it helped me get over my nerves. For and then, what, yeah. And it got the audience used to seeing me, too. Right. So I would go out there, but... I had a full plate. I was doing Weekend Update. I was I had maybe had a sketch on that week. Where I had to kind of produce that and look at that. And then I had the warm-ups. The day, Jesus. You know? Did and, you ask to do warm-up or did they ask you? Um, I don't remember. But I did it for eight years. And no one did other No, cast not eight remember? years. I did uh, Dennis used to do it before me. Oh, he did? Yeah. So I did it for maybe five or six years. In here... We pour Is there something interfering with your happiness? Uh, we have spoken about this on this show, on my other show, very often. That BetterHelp is incredible. Um, it's it's not a crisis line. It's uh, it's not a self help line. It's professional counseling done privately and securely at the comfort of your own home or whatever location, work, wh- wherever you are. I got to tell you, uh, I use BetterHelp, and I'm a big proponent of speaking to somebody. Um, and BetterHelp is great because it's uh, it's cheaper than traditional offline counseling, which is very expensive. And also when you go in, uh, it's in a weird, gross office and everything is taupe or beige and overly well lit. And there's a guy reading a highlights magazine there and he's making you uncomfortable because he's circling stuff and you know, he shouldn't be circling stuff because that's for somebody else. That's for children. And, uh, I got to tell you, if you are needing to talk to somebody, better help is incredible. You can log into your account anytime from anywhere. And, uh, these are professionals. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. And you should be talking to someone. Uh, I, I am a big proponent of someone that says mental health is very important and making sure that you're getting help that you need is a big deal. Um, and there's a broad range of expert expertise uh, and the service is available for clients all over the globe, all over this beautiful world. Log into your account from anywhere at any time. Uh, BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier, healthier life today. You can go see the reviews at uh, betterhelp.com reviews. And go to BetterHelp.com slash whiskey. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And uh, right now, you can head over there. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Whiskey Ginger listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash whiskey. It's great. Please try it. BetterHelp.com slash whiskey. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. All right? If it ain't broken, don't fix it. But if it's broken, you should fix it. Clogged sinks, finicky engines. When things break around the house... You fix it. So when something's off in the bedroom, uh, you know, don't avoid it. Fix it. All right. Get Roman. Roman is the best. What are you waiting for? With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED. ED is not embarrassing. Millions and millions and millions of men have this issue. It's not a big deal. Who cares? Because you can fix it with technology, baby. Licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. And if medication is appropriate, it ships you for free. Two-day shipping for free. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. And getting started is easy. Just go to roman.com slash whiskey and complete an online visit. Let them know what's going on. Look, a lot of guys have trouble getting blood down there. It's not that big of a deal. Who cares? Maybe your mind is focused on other things. Well, Roman's going to help you out. 
Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today and connect with a healthcare professional to take care of it. It gets to your front door in a discreet box. Nobody knows. It's your business, you know, and have some fun. Enjoy what's going on in the bedroom. Fix your little baby minuscule problem. Easy as that. Go to go to getroman.com slash whiskey right now. You'll get $15 off your first month. It's time to take care of your ED. And remember, uh, get started today and you'll save $15 on your first order of ED treatment. Get help. It's real easy. And then light the bedroom on fire, baby. GetRoman.com slash whiskey. That's GetRoman.com slash whiskey. Ginger. I like gingers. Oh, they must have one now. I guess I never thought about it. I they tested must. five years ago. Uh, for COVID or? No, test. I tested positive for COVID six, five, seven six, months, five months ago, three weeks ago. Did you ago. really? You had COVID? I had COVID in October. Did you really? Coming up on my one-year COVID anniversary. Yeah, I'm excited. I heard it comes back every year. It does, but you don't have to let it in. Yeah. You know, you can shove it off. Just like anxiety. <laughs> oh, that's a lot harder to avoid. That, <laughs> that's going to stick with you. Yeah, I tested for SNL five, six years, six years ago. I don't even know. But um, it was a great process. They did you, laughed. Did you go to NBC? Yeah, I went to New York. I, well, I went to New York, tested, yeah. came back to L.A., got a phone call and said, Lauren wants to have lunch with you and all that stuff. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's good. Yeah, and then I went back, and he was really nice. We sat in his office for like an hour and a half. and. Um, well, you got really close then. Yeah, it was me and Pete Davidson. <sighs> it was, and, and, and Lauren was very cool about it. <clears throat> the way he said it was, I respected him for it. He was like, I'm looking for a specific puzzle piece. And you're a very talented guy. I, I, you're, you're, you do great on the show. I just don't know if you're the piece I'm looking for. And I understood, like, clearly. I was like, and yeah. And you said, how can I convince you? I pulled out a gun and I said, put me on the goddamn <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah. No, I honestly, I took it. I understood what he meant because I did great. My audition was phenomenal. Yeah. They laughed at every single character I did. So I knew I did great. And then I had known Pete. I just met Pete at Montreal and he was 19 or tw- maybe 20. I don't even know. But I realized, I was like, it's me. I'm a 30-year-old guy versus a 19-year-old guy, a kid. I understood it was like they want a young guy to either mold or they want an experienced guy. Because at that point, I already had done a couple sitcoms. I already, I'd already had headlined a little bit. Like, yeah. my feet were more than wet. So I got it. When he said that, I was like, this makes sense. The kid makes sense. And I wasn't mad about it, oddly enough. I was just kind of like, I got I understood. Yeah, it. yeah. You were more of a businessman thinking like him. Well, know? I was just like, yeah, this makes sense. I got why he did it. It's funny as you get older and you're more seasoned and you've been in the business for a while, you don't take things personally. You, you think, can't. You think like a producer. You go, yeah, I see what you're, where you're going with that. Right. Yeah, that, that seems to work. I remember I auditioned. never thought I would get it. I walked into Studio 8H mm-hmm. in New York, you know, at 30 Rock, and I immediately got really tired because I used to fall asleep watching that show. It was an association thing. <laughs> I thought, oh, this looks yeah, familiar. I'll sleep in the yeah. middle of my audition. Yeah. And then I fly home, and I'm thinking, okay, it's just a free trip to New York. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all I expected. And two weeks later, I'm sitting across some lawn in a high-rise in Beverly Hills, and he's offering me a job at SNL. Wow. And I played it, like, really cool. I said, well, thank you, Mr. Michael. Let me think about it over the weekend. Ah, oh, what a shot. What if he was like, fuck you? That's the way I work, baby. Yeah, That's that how I negotiate. How do you think I ended up on your show right here? Well, your agent yeah. called your called me and said, <laughs> can Kev be on the show? How, how old were you when you were on SNL? I was about 34. Oh, yeah. See, and you know what the, the thing about that show was? I felt like they've they've still held true to that, where they do have, a lot of people get that show late, and then a lot of people, they give them really, really young. It's really interesting how sometimes they give people that show later in your career. Yeah, I was 33. 33. I mean, still, though, you're not 20. But there was another guy on there. 22-year-olds on the show. There was another guy on there that was super old. Who? On our cast. He was coming in that year, too. 
and and I hadn't met him, and everybody was talking about him, and they were saying he was 37. I thought, oh, this guy's old. What an old man. It was Phil Hartman. Oh, yeah. How old was Daryl when he got the show? Daryl Hammond? Yeah, he had to been 40-something. He was after me. Yeah, but I'm saying, yeah, that's what I mean. I think he was in his 40s when he got that show. And Delano, doesn't he? And, and Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie got it when she was 50 or 49 or 48 or something like that. Really? Yeah, she was much older. I mean, she's she's 106 now. So let's see. 10 divided so by 7. Carry the 6. Kicks and the, 40, carry the 5 40, divided 40, by 3. 8, 6, 7, Pi square. 30? Yeah. 2. Yeah. 32. 32. Yeah. No, those those um, those days are uh, are long gone, but I was happy I was a part of it um, for the, you know, the time being. I always think, what would I have done if I didn't do that show? Been successful as a stand-up anyway? I had auditioned for a show, like, a couple years after I moved out here, and I had five callbacks, and I was so excited. My manager, my manager was excited, too. <clears throat> and, um, and I remember hearing the two producers look at each other and go, we're not getting any closer than this. And I walked outside of the office. It was at Paramount. I looked around. I thought, well, I guess this could be my new home. A week goes by. I don't hear anything. Two weeks. And I find out they're looking at older people for the role. Uh, and it was, uh, it was for Sam Malone on Cheers. Ted Danson got it. Wow. Yeah. But I had been, you know, I'd, originally it was not a baseball player. It was a football player from the East Coast and a bartender, ex-bartender. And I was both of those. Perfect. Ex-football player, bartender. I was from the East Coast. And... Um, and uh, and then I see it come on, and it does so well. But had I done that, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. My life would have changed. You'd be Do a, you believe in, in that kind of stuff? You'd be Do a you, billionaire, yeah. I'd be so rich. Yeah. Do you believe in that, like, signs and things? Like, if you went through that orange light, that yellow light, your life would change. But you stopped instead. Butterfly effect? Sometimes. Is that what it is, the butterfly effect? Yeah, one element changes the rest of history forever. I do think some things I think about but I don't think it happens as often as we'd like. I think it does happen, but when it does, it's almost like two cosmos. Just like I think it's just a total, complete coincidence. That, like do you, that, do you that believe in a soulmate? You. No. No. I don't think there's one person for you. But there is one person who would be the best for you out of everybody in the world. Seven billion people. You, you, yeah. don't, you don't think you could meet another person that would have a lot of good things Not in as good with you? as that person you'll never meet that is your soulmate. Right, you'll never meet him. <laughs> you'll never. You know, what? you know, geographically, most people hook up or get married to the person that is in their circle. Location. Whether they're in an improv group yeah. or a skating group. Yeah. yeah, it's location. Or high school. And, you know, you go to a high school and you fall in love with the prettiest girl at that high school, mm -hmm. which may not be that pretty of a girl <laughs> and by standards of the rest of the world. <laughs> Globally. Because that's in your environment. That's what works. That's what works for you. Yeah, we live in a vacuum. I think a soulmate may exist. This is, this is, a, good, this is a good idea. We'll never meet our soulmates. I think there is someone for everyone. You'll never get to meet them. Probably not. It's impossible. It would, the odds and, are impossible. And, and the kismet of meeting them I mean, even with internet now and, and with all of these online dating things where they can narrow it down to people that are... If, right. The way we... I don't know how you did it, but I just happened to meet my wife. Yeah, I just met her. Um, did I say wife? Wives. Sorry. How many are you, how many are you on? <laughs> uh, th uh, this is my last one, my second one. Your second one is last. That's fine. Two, yeah. two, two seems right. Three would be... One is understandable. One's fine. One's very cliche. I mean, I've... I've who did I talk to recently that... Engaged like five times. <laughs> Wasn't Liza Minnelli married like a hundred times? 
And she married the same guy twice? Yeah, yeah. You, you, there's no excuse for marrying the same guy twice. <laughs> Why? What's the purpose? I never understood that. Well, I was in Aspen a couple years, no, a couple years ago. No, it was like 20, 30 years ago. Comedy festival? I think it was. And yeah. Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith had just, he just proposed to her again. They're getting remarried. Right. And I had dinner with them that night at some restaurant. You did? Yeah. How do you know that? How'd you know them? Um, she hosted SNL once. Ah. Uh, it's funny when somebody hosts SNL, you're friends forever because right. they're so terrified and they bond with you so tightly. Yeah. I mean, I could go down to Tennessee and knock on Dolly Parton's door. Oh, hey, Kevin. You know, <laughs> it's like that. Do they be, cause they create this trust with you cause it's you're helping them. Yeah. Through this. And it's a memory for them because right. it's exhilarating, you know, and it's. Who was your least favorite person that hosted the show? You know, everybody asked me this. And I never answered them, but I'm going to tell you. I'm going to. I'm going to tell you who it was. Who was it? Um, they're not alive anymore. Oh, so it's easy. That's fine. Yeah. Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton. Mm -hmm. Wow. And <laughs> I was going with it. And when did he host? When did Buster host? <clears throat> you know, he'd been around for a while. I saw him on Twilight Zone. Yeah. Buster Keaton. Yeah. You know, he did some guest spots on different shows. He was 80 then, I think. Yeah, he probably was. Yeah. Um, but no, everybody was on their best behavior. Liar. But I'll tell you the, um, I, I, I really felt for some people though on that show. Because they would bomb. They were terrified. Yeah. They were, because they never did live TV. Mm -hmm. At least we did stand up. So I came from a background where I was in front of a live audience and I just had to like discount the cameras, you know, I. That was my way of rationalizing my fear like, to get out of my fear was there's no cameras. Nobody's watching this show because it was almost canceled the year before we went on, you know? Right. So, um, so, um, some people I felt really bad for, like I, I was getting a life mask made once. You know what that is? No. They, they have to make a prosthetic oh, yes. piece. So yeah. they put plaster all over your face right? and they cover everything except for your nostrils. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think I'd have a problem with it. And they put plastic over your body and you can't hear anything. You can't see. And it takes 11 minutes. He told me all this and he, he was talking to me like, this is a big deal. And I'm like, what are you worried about? <laughs> Let's just do it. I don't mind. Mm. You know, I feel like it's Halloween, you know? So he puts all the plaster on and starts to harden and it's getting hot. And I realized that the only way for me to breathe is out of my nostrils. And if somebody were to close that, I would be toast. You'd die. I started panicking. Yeah. And I started getting lightheaded and I told him, take it off, take it off. Take it. He goes, what? Take it off. I could barely hear him. He goes, take it off. Oh yeah. I could feel his thumbs under the plaster and then I passed out. Whoa. The next thing I remember I could, he had smelling salts and I woke up he goes, you all right? I go, yeah. What happened? Cause you passed out on the thing, you know, you just, I said, wow. Because I think I might be able to salvage the mask, though. I put it in cold water because I don't want to have to go through it again. Mm -hmm. And he showed it to me. It looked like this. <laughs> 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 but anyway, so I said, let's do it again because I don't, you know, I don't want to have that crazy, you know, thing about passing out. Let's try it again. He goes, mm -hmm. okay, let's do it again if you want to, but I'll keep your hands outside the plastic. I'll turn the radio up loud so you have that sensory, you know, thing. And um, we'll do it again. So I did it again. I almost passed out again, <laughs> but a week later, yeah. I'm, uh, and this is for a Jay Leno mask, you know, a chin, they need yeah, the, chin. the chin. So a week later I'm in the subway and it stops in between stations and it's dark. I started getting that same feeling again. I was traumatized by it. Yeah. And I thought, oh no, 
and it just snowballed. I became claustrophobic, even to the extent of being on stage. Like, I didn't know if I could stay on stage. If they said, you got to do 45 minutes, like at the Laugh Festival, or the Just for Laughs in mm -hmm. Montreal, you got it, your headliner, you're doing 45 minutes. I go, oh, that means I'm trapped. I, I can't leave. And that made me panicky. So I would tell the, I would always tell the MC, stay close because I might have to leave. And they go, okay, okay. You know, I said, no, no, I'm serious. And, you know, cars, if I was driving away from home, it became, it started going into um, agoraphobia. If I saw traffic on the other side of the freeway going back to my house, I would get panicky. Or if I was on a bridge in traffic. Or Is it plane, still that way today? No, no, no. I, I got over it because I confronted all my fears. In here, we pour whiskey. whiskey. Guys, the sport of business means demanding excellence from your craft and your wardrobe. You know, your fit's got to be versatile. You can't have just one look. You got to blend timeless style to new age stuff. You got to look good and feel good. Cuts clothing is the best. Let me tell you something. They sent me a box and I'm always skeptical. Uh, but genuinely, this stuff is great. Uh, honestly, the cut shirts, the polos, the hoodies. I like the polo a lot because I can wear it when I go golfing like the white dork that I am. But then I can wear it out afterwards and not feel like I've got to go home and change immediately because I'm wearing a, a traditional golf shirt. This looks and feels uh, biz cash. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's built for performance in the boardroom, the bar, the gym. You can, these are versatile pieces of clothing, which I think is great wherever uh, life takes you. The plain tee is great. Uh, the bleeding edge of fabric technology meets the man confident enough to wear it. That's Cuts Clothing, baby. The Cuts founder, Steve Borelli, set out to create clothes ready for every occasion in the modern times, which I think is great. You can wear them to the gym, wear them out at the golf course, wear them to the beach, then go to dinner. You know, it's the perfect T-shirt that they've got. I got to tell you, they set out to make the perfect T-shirt, and it's good. The Cuts hoodie uh, is great, too. This Hyperloop uh, French Terry fabric. It's a textile temperature controlled, and it's ageless, so it's not going to get all uh, scummy and, and messed up as you get older. Uh, try the wrinkle-free Pika, that Pika polo. That's what I like, a design that helps you fit it for the office, the golf course, the gym, or wherever you may be, or just lounging around the crib. Um, it's not just a lifestyle. It's not just clothing. It's office, leisure, apparel for the sport of business. Get 15% off your first order by going to cutsclothing.com slash whiskey. Cutsclothing.com slash whiskey. Cutsclothing.com slash whiskey for 15% off the only shirt worth wearing. Ginger. I like gingers. I'm telling you this because, like I said, I felt bad for some people on that show. And one of those people was Jeff Daniels. Mm. It's Friday day before the show, he's hosting. I don't see him around. And Jim Downey, the head writer, comes up to me and he goes, do you hear what's going on with Jeff Daniels? I say, no, what's happening? He goes, they put a life mask on him, they can't get it off. I, and I just, I started, what, what? And he's kind of <laughs> snickering a little bit. He goes, yeah, it's crazy, they can't, they can't get it off. I think, that, you know, the, the mixture of chemicals, it hardened and he had like a five o'clock growth and it stuck to his eyebrows and his eyelashes. They couldn't get it off. So they said, just stay calm. We're going to pull it away from your forehead and pour water down. And we're going to put the straws up your nose so you can breathe, you know, so the water, you know. So they put the straws up his nose and they poured the water down, but it didn't work. It didn't loosen it from his eyebrows. It gave him a bloody nose. So there was this bright red blood on the white plaster and he God. can't get it off. And if he, if he throws up or something... He's He'll dead. drown. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm like freaking out. I'm going, are you kidding me? Goes, yeah. So I said, well, what's happening now? And it's like been an hour already. He's in that mask. Oh my God. So he, um, he said, they called Lorne 
and told Lauren what was going on. This is Friday before the show. Lauren called a couple of his plastic surgeon friends that were at a party and said, you got to get over here to Studio 8H. Tell them what was going on. And they come. And I think they maybe had a few drinks, you know? <laughs> and they bring their little kid of X-Acto knives with them. And so they pull the mask away from Jeff's face and they lower the X-Acto knife in there and they slowly cut his eyebrows off from the plaster, both eyebrows. Oh my so God. So now they got to cut the eyelashes, you know? And then they pull it all the way down. They get that off. And now it's stuck to his beard. It's still covering his nose, stuck to his beard. So they got to give him shots of Novocaine all the way down as they're pulling it to numb his skin. Oh my God. And I like almost died just thinking about it. Cause mm -hmm. I could so relate to, you know, if it were me, I'd probably be dead. You'd be dead. So he comes in the next day, he comes up to me. He's got no eyebrows. <laughs> No eyelashes. His face is all red and blotchy. He goes, did you hear what happened to me? I said, no, what happened? <laughs> wow. But he said he told his wife, who was back at the hotel, and she ran into the bathroom and threw up. Good yeah. thing she didn't, wasn't stuck in a face mask. But wait, did he not? I mean, after that, I feel like there's a piece of But he was like, also playing Jay Leno. <laughs> That's what it was for? That's how he this got is the back curse of us. Jay Leno. Yeah. yeah. This is why. It's all Jay's fault. Uh -huh. I would have not hosted. I'd have been like, I'm going home. This isn't, I would have been He's so pretty upset. amazing. I would have too. I mean, I would have been traumatized. I he mean, wasn't, I, don't know, he, I don't know if he got claustrophobia from that. Was he mad about it? Did you, could you feel he was kind of pissed off the rest of the, when he hosted, was he mad the rest I, of the weekend? I, I didn't sense that in memory. You know, I, I think he was just like, holy cow. And you, that was crazy. You know? That's such a patient He's like a Midwestern guy, you know, yeah. Midwestern Michigan guy, I that's guess. That's weird, man. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. That stuck to my beard. And uh, <laughs> you know? that's panic for me. Like yeah. I have claustrophobia to a very small degree. It's not, I don't have, but like certain things do give me super bouts of anxiety and panic. I'll tell you what it's about. Any kind of, well, I'm not a doctor or anything, but a lot of phobias, not all of them, but some phobias and anxiety and mm. panic attack, it's breathing. It's your breathing. Yeah. Because you start hyperventilating, which doesn't mean breathing a lot. Sometimes it means not breathing at all. You forget to breathe. And I went to, I went to a phobia doctor in the Valley here. Mm -hmm. I don't remember this. And believe it or not, his name was Dr. Doctor. No. Yeah, that was his name. No. And he gave me, he taught me how to breathe. And for a long time, I carried a brown paper lunch bag with me. And I would breathe into the bag if I started a panic attack. Or if there's traffic out there, I'd get the bag out and go. <sighs> you breathe in, uh, I think it's four beats. And then you breathe out for eight beats. And you inflate, deflate the bag. And that works. That worked. And, um, and I would, anytime I was like getting anxious about being stuck in a tunnel, like in New York, cause I'd always have to, to leave Manhattan. You have to go through the tunnel. Yeah. And I'd always like bring a blanket or a coat to put over my head and my headphones and my iPod. And I just listen, blast everything out before I even got into the tunnel. So I didn't even want to know when I was in the tunnel. Wow. You know, when did this cease for you? Uh, it probably lasted about two years. That, so it was, it was a heavy part of your life. I mean, it overtook your life a little bit. The thing about that and anxiety is you invite it in mm -hmm. and you let it come in. Of course. It's like a vampire almost. It's like you let it, you, you don't want it, but it overtakes you and it, you just welcome it. And, and you find more ways to uh, amplify the anxiety and, and you almost, um, uh, what's that word, uh, with an addict, you know, when you... When you facilitate, when you continue to facilitate, enable, it. enable it. Yeah, yeah, when you enable your anxiety, is what it is. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. That's what ha that's what hurts me the most. I had I've talked about mental health on the show a whole bunch, but I've had I had severe panic attacks when I was in college, 
and I went to this therapist. But I used to get them because I had ocular migraines. I go blind in my right eye. No it's crazy. It's a precursor for migraines. So you some, still get migraines? Not really. The last, they say Botox is good for migraines. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, but I don't need Botox. My skin is so tight. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I get them. I get them probably once every three years. Once every three or four years. But I used to get them pretty regularly. What's it from? Stress. Yeah, stress. Light. Diet. It's a lot of stuff. Light does. Light, light is sunlight. Yeah. Yes. My sister gets migraines. She wears these big Jackie O sunglasses to cover all the. Yeah, light stress. Um, diet, sleep schedule, he said, is probably the be- the worst. So it's like an STD. I get it. Same thing. It, yeah. Same thing. And if, yeah. whatever you need to tell yourself <laughs> to get through it. Yeah, use the same medication for uh, for anxiety yeah. uh, as, as herpes. I, but I would just um, have panic attacks when it started to happen. And I thought I was going to die. Then I would go to the oh, hospital. Oh, that bad? Oh, man. I would go blind in my right eye. And in my left eye would just kind of look wavy. You know when you ever be, uh, you ever near a fire, a fire pit, and if you close your eyes, you know you can still see heat lines or feel that heat yeah. wave? That's what it looks like. It just makes you go blind. And then I would have that, and eventually I got over it. But it took me a year and a half to get through. When I finally realized that I, I could control everything, I just went to a therapist, and she was like, you can control it. You know that. You can, you can almost make it so go away. So there's no away. medicine you take for that. You can take migraine medication, but I don't really take stuff. I don't yeah. like that. So you could take it when you felt it onset, or you can go into a dark room, close your eyes, yeah. cover up, which is what I do now when it happens. By the way, Weeds, I wanted to tell Mary Louise Parker. Mm-hmm. Am I saying it right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That show was severely underrated, in my opinion. I think it's, sh- I mean, it, it, it did very well. But I do think not enough people I knew saw the show. But then when I saw the show and liked it, and I'd known who you were, but not known you personally, because we only met maybe, I don't know, five years ago. Something like, we met, something like that. Something like that. Um, I assumed you were a, a heavy pot smoker. <laughs> I just thought I was yeah. like, this is this might no, because so often guys play stuff on TV. Like you know, Seth Rogen always plays a pot. He's a pothead. Yeah. He plays a pothead constantly. Right, right. I did kind of assume you might have been one of those guys, but no. that's nowhere near you. No, you don't drink. You don't smoke. You don't do much. I mean, I did drink. I you know, I was I'd never had a problem drinking. But, right. Uh, you know, most weekends tequila. I love tequila, but not anymore. Not anymore. It just takes too long to recover. Yeah, like, it's you know, bad. it's just I'd rather wake up uh, at eight or seven in the morning feeling great and yeah. not be dragging all day with a headache. You know. Now, was weed ever a thing for you? No, never. No. Huh? Even even today, will you try some once in a while or no? No, Doesn't... I mean I don't, I don't I don't need it. I mean I've got so many things that make me happy. Yeah. And like I said, I don't have anxiety anymore, and I don't have the claustrophobia. Yeah. I'm like dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're, no, pro- not. you're probably I'm, the most alive because you don't. I'm alive, but it's funny because my wife will tell me, you know, you, you just don't have, you, you, you don't have the, um, you know, I get all bubbly and happy and excited for things, and mm-hmm. and you're like very even, even keel. Yeah, because you know you're not demonstrative with your feelings and your emotion. I said, I think it's because I just don't trust anything anymore. You know, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, like if somebody people? says you got a job, you know, you're going, mm. you're going to Europe to shoot this film. Oh, that's great. That's great. But I'm always a little like reserved where my wife is like, oh my God, like, you know, I got a check out of the blue once, you know, for weeds. Like they, they did residuals. an audit and they had residuals from Europe and it was a lot of money. The check came and my wife, I show my wife, you know, for me, it's like a check. It's going to go in the bank. They'll tax it, you know, right. but I show it to her and she, 
slumps against the wall and falls down on the floor. And she's in the fetal position, <laughs> just happily crying, <laughs> you know? And then she got a job on, she's an actress, she got a job on the Christopher Guest movie. She's a huge fan of his. Oh, same. And same thing, just so excited. And You temper your, your happiness. I think so, even with SNL. And so when I got SNL, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't as magical as when I did the first Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Yeah. I was excited to have it, but I still didn't trust it because they could cancel the show anytime. Take I mean, it away, fire we, you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the show was about to be canceled when we came on. So I, we were living, all living out of our suitcase week by week. In a, in a hotel? Uh, it was a hotel for the first week or so until right. we found an apartment. And then we were in apartments. Like, you know, we rented apartments, like studio apartments. Yeah. And um, so you just don't trust it. Yeah. You know? And that's the business, I think. I, I feel the same way. I feel like because anything can get pulled out from under you at any moment. Yeah. But I think we need more of your wife's vibe than we, I think we need more of that. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm, I really appreciate how excited she gets. Sometimes I'll like overdo it just to show her I can get excited. Like <laughs> we'll go look at houses, you know, and. This is amazing. That's what I do. I go overboard. I go, oh my God, huh? Did you see the kitchen? <laughs> it's got a sink. <laughs> It's got a stove. <laughs> it's got everything. You won't believe it. Dish yeah. washer. It washes dishes. Yeah. And then even on the drive home, can you believe that house? Does she know it's bullshit? Does yeah. she like oh, yeah. stop selling? Stop, stop overselling yeah. it. Yeah. I know you probably won't tell me, but I do want to know how big the residual check was so bad. It was um quarter of a million dollars. Really? Yeah. Holy shit. That's a, yeah, oh my God. Are you God. falling to the I'm floor I'm your wife. Now? I'm yeah. your wife. <laughs> your wife, yeah. That is an, I mean, residual checks are usually not that big. I mean, I guess. No, well, you know, maybe was it was 50,000. Lie. The show was on for so, for, for a good enough amount of time where it could garner a big audience, you know, overseas and have that. I, I, I've never had that experience with, with checks like that, where with residual checks. I never did either. Yeah. The biggest I ever got was when I did my first commercial. Did you ever do commercials? Yeah. I did a I did a uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade commercial. Oh, you're, you would be perfect for that. <laughs> <laughs> I got a Mike's Hard Lemonade commercial, and I remember the guy saying, "Now look, the check's going to be bad uh, up front because it's a day rate, but it's residuals because I was it wasn't a buyout back then. It was right. you know, for people how many that, times they played it. Right, right for people to know. Yeah, it's how many times it airs, and. I always thought, oh man, I thought I booked that. That was my thing. I thought I booked this commercial and I'm going to make some money, you know, finally. And, uh, and I was washed it away. And then a month and a half later, I got a phone call from someone back in Chicago. And I was like, dude, I'm at a fucking bar and I see your face on a commercial. I'm ESPN. I'm watching the ball game and I'm seeing you <laughs> over and over, dude. They're playing it all the time. And in my head, I'm like, whoa, that's nuts. Maybe, maybe that'll be, maybe that'll be some money. Yeah. And I, and again, like you, I've always been a, not pessimistic, but real, realistic. Yeah. I'm always like, I don't, maybe probably not. And then sure enough, a month or two later after that, after the run, I started to see it. I got a couple of very large checks. Wow. And now, it when you my say life. large, what do you mean? Well, the first one was for $28,000. Nice. And I was 24 years old. And wow. I probably made that in a year yeah. when I first moved out here. I probably made 28 grand Hustling. a year. Yeah, 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 hard, yeah. And I thought that was, I mean, and then I got a uh, four or five more checks ensuing as the time went on. But like that, I remember feeling like, wow, this, this is incredible. You can make a couple, you can make real you can, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For years, because you don't make any fucking, I mean, you know, you make $5 in a free 
sandwich when you were doing shows and stuff. One of my biggest disappointments was the first commercial I ever got. Was it? I was so excited. It was for Nabisco Country Crackers. And You're perfect for that. They wanted a banjo player. I play the banjo. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I was going to be with Lynn Anderson, who wrote and sang the song, I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. Oh. It was a song back then. Anyway, she's a country singer. So I did it. I filmed it. I filmed it. I got it. And I did it. And everybody was so excited for me. Even Jay Leno said, hey, I saw your uh, commercial on the uh, TV the other night. Good for you. A week later, after, after it came out, a week later, they found copper dust in the, in the crackers. So they had to pull it from all the shelves and they pulled the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Were people dying? I mean, that, they right? weren't dying, oh. but you know, they, the FDA, I guess, tests it and stuff. Copper dust? I, something like that. How does that even get into the cracker? I don't know, maybe from... Some guy just shaving copper, <laughs> just pennies. Yeah. He's just like, this is, they're going to love the way it tastes. Yeah. No, I don't know what it was, but, um, but that, I was so disappointed. Just for a brief it. second, I had that. But, you know, as far as like a big check, I remember I was in front of the improv one night and my friend who was a musician moved out to LA. He was in a band in my hometown. What's your hometown? Bridgeport, Connecticut. Bridgeport, right. I knew you were from Connecticut. I don't know where. His name was Peter McCann. Mm -hmm. And he was in a real popular band back in my uh, neighborhood. He moved out here to do songwriting. And he he got very successful. He wrote songs, uh, The Right Time of the Night. Oh. Uh, and uh, do you want to make love or you just want to fool around? <laughs> anyway, they were big hits right. for other people. And I saw him out in front of the improv one night. Now we're both out here. And he pulls me aside. He goes, I got to show you this. And he had a couple of drinks. He was celebrating. He takes out a check, $100,000. Wow. What year was that? That was like 82. Wow. And I mean, I that's like 400 that. grand right now. Yeah, I saw that though. And I thought, oh my God, I'll never see that. I'll never see a check like that. This guy's on his way. Right. Right. Where is he now? Nashville. Yeah. Is he doing well? Is he still right? I haven't seen him in a long time. I wonder. Shout out to Peter. Peter, let us know if you uh, have seen this, uh, this show. He writes you an angry letter. He says, you know what? I'm going to shoot in your big fat Mick head. <laughs> it's on the back of that check. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was McCann. Yeah. Are you, um, are you a golfer or no? I golf, but I'm not a golfer. You should be because of how, t- how tall you are. You beat the shit out of the ball. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm usually, uh, I, I hit the ball the least far out of every foursome I'm in. Really? Yeah. Because you're a big Sometimes guy. I'll hit a ball and I think, I crushed that. And then the next guy will get up, he's like 5'2", crushes it like 100 yards past my ball. Yeah. But I don't go, I golf for the first time yesterday uh, in a year and a half. Well, because I talked to Bertolina about, you did like a, didn't you do like a Callaway thing or something? You yeah. Did, you did a golf thing. Yeah. So then when he said that, I was like, oh my God, does he... He also says hello, uh, but he. But I was like, oh, really? The, I didn't know. I didn't know you. I didn't know you to be a golfer. Was it? A, were mm. you golfing for them or something? Uh, no, it was a commercial. For oh, Callaway. it was. Okay, a web, okay. A web, during oh, the okay, pandemic, okay. there was a web uh, series, a web thing. But um, but I've golfed since I was fifteen. But I never got good. I'm not good at anything. I do a lot of stuff, but I'm not good at anything. Stand up. Even still, yeah, you're right. You know, yeah, tap I'm, it. I'm not like selling out theaters. I'm okay. Yeah, you, you know, no, you're a good stand-up. You're I remember very, when very I saw stand-up. Robin Williams for the first time. It was at the Laugh Stop in Newport Beach. It's not there anymore. But I was kind of new to L.A., and I was checking out the scene, and I'd seen a lot of comics like Letterman and Leno. They were good. Mm-hmm. And then I see Robin Williams walking around, the, you know, running around the room, pulling stuff out of women's purses and <laughs> improvising, and he had the Shakespeare hat on, whoa, you know, and all that energy. I thought, what am I doing? I'll never, I'll never be that good, <laughs> you know? I'll never. I know. felt that a million times. Yeah. When you see someone, you're like, well, that's, I'm never, I'm not good. You say that with the comics and open mic night. 
You know, I'll never be. I think I say that to the guys that are waiting to get up on the open mic night. Yeah. The way they posture, I'm like, I can't. I'll never be that good. There used to be a supper club in Santa Monica uh, called The Horn, and they had singers and comics. I remember this is when I was starting out. I was doing a, a set there, and I finished, and I walked to the bar area, and it was all dark. And this guy goes, he had a Mets cap on, an old-fashioned Mets cap. And it was dark. I could barely see him. He goes, hey, it's really good, man. Stick with it. And I looked closer. It was George Carlin. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, thanks, man. Coming from you. To stick with it. It's one of those things. It's one of those rude things. Like when you meet someone and they're like, oh, you're a comic? You think you're funny? Yeah. It's like, yeah, man, I do. Yeah, I I do think I'm very (laughs) fucking funny. Like what else? It's such a weird, lame insult when somebody goes, oh, you're a professional funny guy? You're like, yeah, I'm making a living doing it. Obviously, something clicked right. Yeah. Carlin, are you friends with Leno, by the way? You mentioned him a few times. You are? I know him. I've known him since, you know, I, I moved out here. I used to see him like kill at the improv. I used to see everybody at the improv, like Annie Kaufman, Rob yeah. Williams, you know, all those comics. Who impressed you the most? Well, Robin Williams and Annie Kaufman. Those two. Yeah. Andy was that good. He was so different. I love the uniqueness of it all. Yeah. You know? Like my three favorite comics were Steve Martin, Annie Kaufman, and Albert Brooks. Yeah. And I'm friends with two of them now. And I'm, I met Andy Kaufman. I talked to him once for like a half hour in front of the improv. And... I asked him about TM because I knew he was into meditation. Uh-huh. And Is that he, transcendental meditation? Yeah. yeah. So he went on like a half hour. He was talking. I didn't listen to any. I was just looking at his face, the moles on his face, and it's like, wow, that's Andy Kaufman's face. You know? <laughs> you weren't interested in the words at no, all. No, I just wanted to get him going and just hang with him, you Just know? to watch him. Yeah. Was he the same? Uh, what was he like off stage? Because the character is all I know. I didn't know him really personally, uh, you know, off stage. I would just see him, and and I knew people that wrote for him and mm-hmm. dated him. Actually, dated a girl that used to date him. Uh, but um, you know, he was. I think he was. George Shapiro was, was his manager. He also managed Jerry Seinfeld, and yeah. I know George pretty well, and we hang out a lot. So I don't. I don't really know what he was like to answer your question in person. But he seemed very kind of odd. You know, disturbed, very maybe? quiet. I don't. I don't know if disturbed is the word, but he very a creative guy, obviously. And I've just started showing my son the Andy Kaufman tapes. Does he like? He him? loves it. You know? Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. How How old is he? Fourteen. Fourteen. Does he like your stuff? It's funny. He watches a lot of uh, Saturday Night Live on YouTube, like yeah. the current stuff. I said, you know, Dad, Daddy was on there. She you ever watch any of Daddy's stuff? And he goes, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. So I show it to him, and and. <laughs> I can see his mind wandering. You know? This is great, yeah. Dad, for you. Yeah. That's good for you, Dad. That must Dad. have been funny back then. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm watching it thinking, yeah, this isn't as funny as I remembered it to me. But is any, that's how I feel about it. Is anything stand-up-wise, does anything hold up of yours or someone else's that you can look back on from you know, 25 years ago and go, God, that was just as funny then as it is or I don't funny know. now? I, look, I did two specials. Yeah. Um, and I look at them now, you know, and I think, I thought that was a lot stronger back then. You right. Know? Maybe you believe you you talk yourself into it, so you you have the confidence when you go out there. This is good stuff, baby. Sure. This is good stuff. You know? <laughs> this is the A sauce. Yeah. But then, like you know, twenty years later, you look at it, you go, hmm. But you're also it's also a sign of the times. So it's it so too. hard yeah. to capture. <clears throat> you see those jokes, or you see old stuff that we used to love, and then most of the time, I go, ah, that was just because of the time. It was just great because of what was going on. Yeah, but I see some sketches from SNL from back then that still hold up. 
you know, like the the Chris Farley Chippendales uh, sketch. And yeah, a lot, a lot of well, sketches physical like stuff usually does hold up. Yeah, I'm always going to laugh at Pratt stuff. Anything there's a fall and a crash and a, but it's hard to do. But even Sid Caesar, you know that show, your yeah. show of shows, they yeah. have some funny stuff on there. And sure, Carol Burnett and yeah, they know. had some great clever stuff, but it doesn't hit me in the funny bone like. I don't laugh Monty out Python, loud. Python, yeah. But Monty Python was kind of physical and goofy, yeah, big humor. That's true. So anything that's physical, physical to me, I am going to, I'm going, I'm going to inherently like that more. I mean, that's why like Carrot Jim was so good, and his stuff kind of transcended just stand up, is because it was so physical and weird, and it was almost you were watching a cartoon come to life. It was very animated. Like, did you, did you, did you have any relationship with Jim or no? Uh, we were married for three years. Three uh, years? Yeah, three years. And it turns out he was my um, soulmate. For your first wife? <laughs> yes. And you met him at, and he was your soulmate. <laughs> no, I've known him for a long time. You know, uh, we played basketball together at Gary Shandling's uh, one time. Uh, um, I would see him at the improv. I remember him, I hadn't seen him for a while, and I saw him in front of the improv when the improv had an awning out front. That's how I remember this. Right. Because he was standing under the awning, and he told me he was getting back into stand-up you know, doing impressions. Because I see him at the comedy store and he'd do all those, you know, the James Dean, the mm -hmm. rubbery face, and it was all the facial stuff, you know. Um, Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, and, yeah. yeah. Just always, you know. Um, but that's to the extent that I knew him. And the last time I saw him was at a party at Chelsea Handler's house, apartment. And he told me he had a beard. He told me he was getting into art. He's painting. He is, yeah. Doing sculpturing. <laughs> <clears throat> And uh, I go, why is that? He goes, well, I, I, I like doing it. He goes, also, people won't remember you as an actor after you die 50 years. Nobody remembers. Like, And it's true because uh, millennials don't, don't even know who Warren Beatty is. You know? I guess, yeah. So he goes, I, so I think he said to me, if I remember correctly, that he, that's how he wants to be remembered. Like, as an artist? Art, pieces of artwork will remember. <laughs> people will remember him from this. It's like a Monet or something, you know? Yeah. And uh, That's pretty valuable. I mean, you make great art. I've been painting, too, yeah. Your stuff is great, man. Thank you. It's actually really, really impressive. Also, to watch your process is kind of cool. Because you put on Instagram, people that you should look up, go to go to his Instagram and see. You'll show the image, and then you'll show how you got to the image. Yeah, I'll show the evolution cool. of it. And I do digital art. It's digital painting. Yeah. Uh, and it's fun because, you know, you can play around with it, and uh, it's not as messy as oil. Although I'm taking oil painting classes now. See, I'm so bad at that. I have no, <clears throat> I have zero physical artistic ability. It's almost shocking how bad I am at that. I've Most tried. people don't, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. But some people have like, can get by. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you, know where, you know where mine came from? I think it was from having to draw maps in school where you what had you? to copy the map, but you couldn't trace it. <coughs> you had God. to look at it and draw the mm. coastline, you know? And I, for some reason, that sticks out in my head. That's what you had to do in school? Yeah. I've never heard of that. Really? Draw maps? Yeah. We had to, you know, draw the map of Europe or <coughs> United States. You know, Al Franken, who was God. a senator, can draw the United States, every state. Really? All together. The physical outline? Yeah. Of every state and put it all together. Yeah. That's insane. And he'll do that at a, at a fundraiser. He'll draw it and then he'll sign it for you. And give <laughs> really? It to you. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he does? Yeah. We never had to draw maps. I'm thinking about that. That obviously was something, uh, well, because when you went to school, they were figuring out all the land, I guess. They were. Well, there was the, um, yeah, it was the, um, a lot of treaties were going on back then and <laughs> the wars were ending. And, Spanish American, you were around for that, weren't you? 
I was around for the Spanish-American, uh, the Mexican-American, and the uh, French-American Revolution. What happened with the French-American Revolution? Those guys, we ended up being okay with them in the end, right? We gave them Montreal. Right. We took it, it. Yeah. But Canada now has, are they just the watchdogs? Is that what it is? Yeah. Of that whole thing? Yeah. One of my favorite, um, I want to tell you this, um, two things. One, I, I'm, I'm happy to, that you came. I really do appreciate it. And it's my um one of my favorite things that I kind of got involved knowing you and you knowing me was you used to do um, stand-up nights at the Laugh Factory where you'd have to do new material only. Yeah. And I like that because you were pretty judgmental of people that would bring old stuff. Because I talked to you one time, I remember, and you'd be like, <clears throat> I really don't appreciate it when people do. I said do. that? Yeah, you did. I'm surprised I said that. You did. Actually, you know what? I wasn't that uh, unappreciative. I, I wanted to give comics that opportunity to try some new material in their stand-up. But if they didn't try it in their seven-minute or ten-minute spot, you know, in the beginning, that's cool because then we sat down together mm-hmm. and that's where we could maybe come up with new material. Right. I would do that with you. I came up with a few great things with you sitting in the <clears> chairs <throat> going back and forth. But I think what you were saying was, I think it was my first time on the show and you were imploring me to not do... Really? I think you were like... Uh, I, I think you were just giving me the, the, the gist of the whole thing. You were like, you know, I really like it when people try out new stuff. I love watching their new stuff. You said it in a yeah. way that was more pleasant than I'm presenting. <laughs> okay. It wasn't like, do it or I'll be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was very much like you were and pushing And I don't know what it. new stuff is. You know, I don't know what people's acts that well. You can feel it a little but bit, But if though. they get a big laugh, it's usually not new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can always feel like when I would see your show and I'd go over there, um, you can always kind of feel when someone's just wrote a good new bit. Yeah. Because it works well, but not excellent it's like mm-hmm. it works and people you can you can feel them going all right right on this is a good you know who was great about that was tony rock yeah i love tony he rock would come in on his cell phone and have a whole bunch of areas and he'd try it and yeah. they're usually pretty good he was and like 70 percent like he'd wander through really good new bits yeah tony <clears throat> tony my favorite story with tony rock uh tony was in chicago at a layover at o'hare and he sees a redheaded guy, like, you know, by the Sabaro. And he said, he got, he's like, he picks up his bag and he goes, Santino. <laughs> and the guy doesn't turn around. And he goes, Santino. <laughs> and he said, he doesn't turn around. And then he goes up to him and Tony tells me a story. He pushes the guy on the shoulder, oh, no. like hard. And he goes, he, <laughs> he goes, he goes, motherfucker, you ignoring me? And the guy turned around. He's like, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't know you, but I, I'm not ignoring you at all. And he was like, oh, no, I thought you were this other dude. And the guy was so nervous and kind of like flustered <laughs> yeah. by it. And he's, he, That's funny. T- in Tony's words, he's like, this motherfucker turned as red as his hair, man. You should have seen this dude's face. But he was like, Tony oh. should have turned red. He goes, I was for sure it was you. No, t- t- he, he, but he goes. All uh, redheads look alike, don't they? We do for the most part. Yeah. yeah, for the most part. I mean, I look, I'm just Bill Burr. A miniature version I, of Bill. I, I have a friend who has red hair. I haven't seen him in a while, but he said that he always gets embarrassed when another person with red hair comes in the room. He has to leave. <laughs> right. There can only be one of yeah. us. I don't like it. I don't like seeing other redheads because um, I don't like them. Gingers. Yeah, gingies. When I see another one, I'm like, ugh, I don't want to be any. And always, always, no matter who you're with, if another redhead enters the room, someone you're with will go. Mm-hmm. You guys know each other? Right. Like yeah. it's a thing. It's the weirdest. Yeah, I get that. Whenever, sometimes I'll grow a goatee. Yeah. And I'll just come in, like, after a week or two, I'll have a nice goatee, and then someone will come in the room with a goatee, and I think, okay, that's it. Mine's coming off. I got to take it off. Yeah. You're not, I've never seen you with facial hair, by the way. Occasionally, I'll do it. I notice a lot of guys my age start growing, like, a goatee, because it covers the jowls that are starting to sag a little bit, you know? Ah. But then you get the white beard. 
Yeah, but the white beard's cool, man. Yeah, I guess. I think that's cool. My dad like grows it out every Christmas. Yeah. He does like a big Santa beard, and I like it. Oh, the whole beard. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, what? What? You know what? There was that phase like Letterman had the big beard. I think oh, he I still love does. It. And then Conan, remember that period of time after a show? He's on well, the road. Well, that was trauma. I think yeah. that was trauma growth. <laughs> he forgot where his shaver was. <laughs> <laughs> he just would wake up and go and go do it. And and uh, his show was great. I'm sad oh. that that's gone. No, well, I mean, on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, so look, I appreciate you coming. I really do. It means a lot to me. I'm a big fan of you as a human, as a comedian. Um, if you're looking to go see uh, Kev on the road, go to website is kevinneeland.com. Kevinneeland.com. You can see all the dates. I love that. See, I got andrewsantino.com early. Yeah. Because I hate when a comic has one that's like, you know. The real. I mean, there's fake ones out there? Yeah, no, this is the one. The official. KevinNeeland.com to go see him uh, on tour, a hilarious comedian you have to see. Um, and if be... you have a good name for my tour, just DM me. Yeah, please. Could you please name his tour? Because And I need it too, but I'll just use whatever you use. It'll be called Not Kevin Nealon's Tour. Come yeah. see Andrew Santino live. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, we, we end the show the same way with one word or one phrase. I want you to look into that camera right yeah. there. Uh, I'm going to walk off, and you're going to say one word or one phrase that's going to end the episode, so make it count. Okay. Curious. In here, we pour whiskey, 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 whiskey. You were that creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. Gingers are beautiful. You owe me $5 for the whiskey and $75 for the horse. Gingers are hell no. This whiskey is excellent. Ginger. I like gingers.